0: First Corinthians 14. And as you're going there, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, this morning I just thank you that we can gather around your word, Lord, that we can look to you. I thank you, God, that your word is not a book that you've left us to navigate all by ourselves, but you've given us your spirit. You, your spirit teaches us and counsels us and trains us in, uh, in your word, Lord, and in the things of your kingdom. And this morning, God, um, we just come to you and we open up our hearts to you, Lord. We pray, God, um, that you would open blind eyes so that we could see, Lord. We pray, God, that you would unstop our deaf ears so that we could hear the things that you want to say to us. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would found to be soft soil for the seed of your word that it would um, take root and grow in us. And Lord as we come to this particular passage, Lord we just ask, we do ask for that help from your spirit to understand. Even open our, uh, the eyes and the ears of our mind this morning Lord. Uh, Jesus it's our desire to, to know you more. It's our desire to be effective in the way that we serve you Lord and the way that we respond to you, and to be biblical. And so, God, we just uh, commit this time to you. We ask your blessing upon it. We ask your blessing upon the teaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, Paul here in this chapter is going to pick up the discussion. Almost where he left off in chapter 12, it was kind of like... uh, He gave us a little message in between chapter uh, 12 and 14 in regards to love. And, uh, you know, if we think back to where we were in chapter 12, Paul talked about uh, spiritual gifts, spirituals, moved on from carnal things to talk about spiritual things, and talked about the gifts of the Spirit and some of the ways the Holy Spirit works and gifts the church. And he talked about in that chapter about... A unity in the body and the importance of every part, that every part is needed and that there's there's beauty in the midst of the diversity that's found in the body of Christ. Uh, and then before he went on uh, to this area where we're going to talk about this morning, he said, I want to tell you about something that's even more excellent. And he talked about the way of love. And it was we spent two weeks there in that chapter. Uh, I really enjoyed it and it just was personally challenged about that, the more excellent way, the way of love. And I would say this, you know, like chapter 13 is kind of like the tide is out, you go down to Bonnie Brook, it's sandy, the water's perfect, and you hang out on the beach and it's wonderful and it's awesome and it's all beautiful. And then you come to chapter 14 and it's got the potential to be a little more prickly. It's more like a day in the backyard hacking blackberries uh, not quite though I don't think I hope it's not going to be that for us this morning but it almost seems like it could be that way when we think of the Corinthian church we know that they were carnal and we've talked lots about this we know that they were they, they had this they were very gifted but they had this tendency to, to lose control to kind of trample on one another uh, to, to not do things in decency and and in order And uh, they were gifted in regards to uh, the working of the Holy Spirit. And they were very open to uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And so as Paul has been addressing the carnality in the church and then talking about the gifts and love, here now he's going to begin to address uh, order uh, in the church. He's going to discuss about how uh, gifts should operate within the church. And specifically, he's going to narrow the focus from... That broad spectrum of the gifts of the spirit that we saw in chapter 12. Uh, to really just two of them. And, and that is uh, tongues and prophecy. And so let's check it out. Verse 1. It says this. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. Now the Corinthians had been and, we, and we've talked about this. Basically guilty of this, they had put love in the back seat and they had put the gifts of the spirit in the driver's seat, so to speak. And in their passion to exercise spiritual gifts, to function in the gifts of the spirit, they were, they were trampling over one another. They weren't sensitive to, to the body and to the needs of the body. And so as Paul jumps back into this exhortation on gifts of the spirit, he starts with this, this fact. Pursue love. Pursue love, that's number one in the midst of the operation of the gifts. Of course, uh, the word pursue, I, I was thinking it reminded me of Roscoe Pico Train and the Dukes of Hazard, and the pursuit of the Dukes, the Duke boys. And he would pursue in order to catch. That is the idea of the word pursuit. You pursue in order to capture, to catch something. It's not following it's not just mirroring something. It's not following from a distance, but it has an intention of capturing, of catching it. And and Paul said this: pursue love. Now, why does he have to say that to the church? Well, I would say it's for this reason. Because love does not come naturally. It doesn't. What comes naturally, at least for me anyways, is selfishness. That I go first, that I push myself to the front. That, that we pursue selfish desires. And this, Paul says, look, if we're going to talk about gifts, I have to say this first. Pursue love. Uh, pursue love. Put away the natural and serve the things of the spirit. And, you know, when we think of what God calls us to do, the scripture tells us that we are, we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And The greatest is love. And so selfishness gets put on the shelf and we pursue God with love and we love one another. Now Paul, uh, he says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now the Corinthian church very gifted, nothing nothing wrong with that, uh, nothing wrong with the desire to have spiritual gifts. The problem was, Simply, like I said, that love had taken a back seat and and spiritual gifts had taken over the driver's seat. And the pursuit is to be love. I would say this, you know, love is the engine. Love is the locomotive. And the gifts are the train cars that follow in behind the engine. And so as we pursue love, we're called to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And in particular, he says, the gift of prophecy. Now we're going to talk a lot about tongues and prophecy this morning. I like this chapter. Uh, Paul talked about prophecy in the context of all of the gifts in chapter 12. And now he's going to narrow this discussion and he's going to go back and forth here between tongues and prophecy and make some comparisons and give some teaching. And he doesn't do this actually anywhere else in the New Testament. This is a very practical chapter. I mean, sometimes I was reading this chapter and I'm like, man, you know, for... A lot of this, it seems really straightforward as you read it. It's very practical on how these things are to operate in the church. You know, some folks think of spiritual um, gifts and they're really turned off by maybe the abuses of the gifts that they've seen or the the extremes that they've seen in different places and they decide this. They decide, man, I don't like the abuse, so I'm going to stay far away from the gifts. Uh, I'm going to back right off. And Paul's solution, we're going to see here, is not non-use. Where there was extremes in the Corinthian church, the, the, the solution is not to stop everything. The solution is to have proper use. You know, I'm reminded that a few years ago on, on a Sunday, it was Sea Cavalcade weekend. We were here, we we're hanging out after church, and there was a few of us in here, and the logger sports were happening down at the end of the dock down there and we were kind of watching from the window and all of a sudden the helivac flies in and it lands right down on the beach in front of grandma's pub and we see them wheeling off uh, somebody off the the dock into the helivac and what had happened was this, is that they had grabbed someone out of the audience to participate in one of the activities and they had given him an axe and the problem was he was wearing (laughs) flip-flops and so... And they had to heli-vac him out of here. And, uh, you know, we could say this. Well, the, the answer is, you don't use an axe. You don't ever give anybody an axe. I mean, don't give them an axe. But that's, that's not what wisdom would say. Wisdom would say, put proper footwear on, you know. Learn to hold the thing, pr- get your feet apart, stand there properly. You, you use, you don't, it's not, the solution's not non-use. The solution is proper use. And so it is with the gifts of the Spirit. The solution isn't, oh, no, that stuff's all scary. We want to stay away from it. The solution is, well, let's be biblical and use them properly. That is the truth with the gifts. Not neglect. We don't neglect them. Not non-use. Proper use. Proper understanding. So this is a great chapter for that. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So, we're going to get lots of understanding about wh- what tongues are and what their role is uh, um, in this chapter. And so, Paul explains, first of all, what speaking is in a tongue is. And he says this One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So, first of all, Paul tells us that when a person is speaking, in a tongue as the spirit gives utterance, who is he speaking to? He is speaking to God. That person is addressing God. He's not addressing men. You know, think about on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were heard, they were in the upper room, the spirit descended upon them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to give utterance in, in other tongues, and on that day, the scripture tells us that they were telling and they were declaring the mighty works of God, and they gave utterance in languages that were unknown to them as the speakers. And tongues is not, I would say sometimes there's this misunderstanding that tongues is this supernatural way for a a person to talk to another person, like, you know, I'm going to pack up and go to some foreign nation, and then I'm going to arrive there, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me, and I'm going to speak to them in their native language and be able to explain the gospel to them. That's not what tongues is. We won't see that example in scripture. And if we misunderstand here what Paul is saying, we, we misunderstand even Acts chapter 2. When a person speaks in a tongue, they are addressing God, not men. Again, at Pentecost, the disciples were speaking to God. And the, the crowd was made up from people all, from all over the known world. They were there in Jerusalem for the feasts. And they overheard the disciples, and what did they hear? They heard them praising God. They heard them declaring the wonders of God. And this is important for the proper use of tongues, the proper understanding of tongues, but it's also important when we think about the interpretation of tongues. You know, if there was a tongue spoken in a service, and there's to be an interpretation, then... The audience of the interpretation, I would say, should not be men, but it should be God. You know, in, in my experience, often what has been called an interpretation has is, is been addressed to men and not necessarily to God. It's like God is speaking to people through that person. But we see here, Paul says, when a man speaks in a tongue, he's speaking to God. He's addressing God, and so... Therefore, the, the interpretation, when, when it's interpreted, should be directed towards God, a word of praise, a word of thanksgiving, uh, uh, a song, a song of worship, and it'll be directed to God, not to men. Now, Paul says, you know, um, when, a sp- when a person speaks in a tongue, you know, normally, the norm is, no one understands him. And that's fine, because... He's speaking not to people. That person is speaking uh, to God. And the exception is, is when there is an interpretation. And so when when a person speaks or prays in a tongue, Paul says this, they're they're uttering mysteries. They're uttering mysteries in the spirit. You know, we all come to this point at different times when we say, man, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Words don't seem like enough. You know, someone comes and they say, well, you pray for this, and you think, I don't know what the will of God is for that situation. Or I don't know what the will of God is for my situation right now. I, I don't know. I, you know, I, it seems like I've exhausted the language and the words that, that I have, and I don't know how to express myself anymore. And the idea here is it's that at that point, we can pray in the Spirit. We can pray in tongues. And the Holy Spirit understands perfectly. Uh, The Holy Spirit understands perfectly that which is a mystery to me. I don't know what to pray. So I depend on the Spirit to pray through me and to pray according to the will of God. It's a mystery to me, but as I pray, the Spirit prays according to the will of God. Now Paul says in verse 3, on the other hand, So tongues on one hand. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So now when a person prophesies, he's not speaking to God. He is speaking to people. And the words are directed to a different audience. Like I said, tongues is directed to God. Prophecy is directed to men and and Paul tells us why, because the person who prophesies is speaking to people for their upbuilding, uh, for their encouragement, uh, for their consolation. And you see here, as you read those words, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, that prophecy is, is primarily positive. It's, it's a good thing. It's, it's not negative in its character. In fact, I would say this, if it's negative, it's actually not likely from the Lord. Because the word of prophecy is meant to build up, to console, uh, to encourage. Upbuilding means to edify. It's actually a construction term. And it, it means to be built up in the, in the Lord. And so when there is a prophecy, the result should be not that God's people are torn down. It's not th- the word should never be to tear down the people of God. It should be to build up the people of God. Words of prophecy are used for encouragement. The The word, depending on what translation of Bible you are holding, could, could say exhortation. It's like the locker room speech, you know. Last night I got to coach Eli's hockey team. I gave him the coach's speech before we went out on the ice. We're going to leave it all out on the ice, boys. <laughs> we got our first win of the season. It was fun. And the coach goes out and, and motivates the team. Leave it all on the ice. And a word of Prophecy is a, is to be a source of encouragement, exhortation. It's not, not to be something that's discouraged. Yeah, we're, we suck, man. We're gonna go out there. We're going this team's gonna kill us. You know that is not a word of prophecy. A word of prophecy is is meant to be a, a a word of encouragement from the Lord as the Spirit gives utterance in that. It's it's a word of consolation. Paul says, that's comfort, comfort where it's like. The word is spoken, this prophetic word, and it's like God comes and he just wraps his arms around his people and just puts them in a daddy bear hug. Man, I I got you. Got your back on this one. I'm in control. And God strengthens us to carry the load. And so a word of prophecy will not weaken a person. A word of prophecy will strengthen a person. And as we talked about, you know, prophecy in the past, one of the one of the things is, uh, is that prophecy is not so much foretelling as it is forthtelling. It's not so much, you know, if we go back to the Old Testament prophets, yes, there are elements of predictivity, predicting the future, even to what the Old Testament prophets did, but much of what they did was communicate uh, the word of the Lord, timely messages to the people of God. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says, Uh, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so as we testify to Jesus, prophecy can function in certain ways in in the church, and it always builds up, it stirs up, it lifts up the people of God. The one who prophesies speaks to to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue Other side of the coin again. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so here's this contrast between tongues and prophecies again. And the contrast is who is built up when the different gift is functioning and operating. Um, Think about the different things that can build up your faith, you know, the Word of God, times of corporate worship, times of prayer, times of worship. Uh, times where we're edified in the faith and, and Paul says that tongues is another means by which a believer can be edified, strengthened, built up in that construction sort of term. Their faith is strengthened. It's like tongues is another weapon in the, in the arsenal that God has given his church. A, a tool in the toolbox that you can take out when you need. It's I don't know what fits here. I'm going to begin to pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues. I don't know what to pray, but I'm going to allow the spirit of God to direct the prayer language. And Paul says your faith is built up and strengthened and edified as that happens. And so praying in the spirit builds our faith individually, but corporately, In a corporate setting, he's going to keep going back from this individual to the corporate setting. In a corporate setting, there's no impact from tongues in terms of building up for the body unless there is an interpretation of the tongues. And so on the other hand, prophecy is speaking forth the heart of God in words of edification and encouragement and comfort, and that can have a powerful impact on the body. It's not just an individual built up. But the body is built up when prophecy is functioning. Verse 5. He says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now I would say this, you know, you read this chapter and it's easy to think maybe Paul is down on tongues. Uh Uh-uh. That's a mistake if you read that and you think this. If, if you come to that conclusion. Paul was into tongues, man. For Paul, it was, uh, you know, he wanted everyone in the, the Corinthian church to be able to speak in tongues. Uh, to have that ability to, to come before the Lord and, and pour out your heart as the Spirit gives utterance. And, you know, when speaking in tongues, a, a person is able, I would say, to unburden their soul before the Lord. In a language as the spirit gives utterance and, and helps them pray things that are mysteries, that, that are the mysteries of God, Paul says earlier. And they can pray and they can intercede beyond the ability of their mind or the, the boundaries of their understanding. And so here's the deal. Here's Paul, man. Tongues. Two thumbs up. Okay? It's a great gift. But in the context of congregational setting, Paul saw prophecy is better for the church because the whole, rather than just being limited to building up one, the whole body, the whole church is is strengthened and that's why he saw prophecy is greater than tongues. It was about context, the body of Christ together. You know, in, in your private devotional life, the use of tongues is a wonderful way to pour out your heart to God, to be built up. Jesus actually said, Mark chapter 16, verse 17, one of the signs of those who believe is that they will speak with new tongues, Jesus said. Jesus never said that tongues was, you know, evidence of baptism of the Holy Spirit, like like some would teach. He never said that tongues was the measuring stick for the depth of your spirituality. He simply said this, that those who believe will speak in new tongues. And tongues are valuable. You you, you know, being able to operate in that gift for your personal time with the Lord, so valuable. But in a public setting, they aren't of much value unless there's an interpretation. And it's in that context that Paul says prophecy is infinitely more valuable. Verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And so we see that it's, he says that there's more value when, when I bring words that are revelation, that, that are knowledge, that are prophecy, that are teaching. Those are things that will help you grow. If I come to you and, and hopefully you can understand me this morning, um, if I come to you and I, I speak to you in words that you don't understand, or you speak to me in words that I don't understand, uh, I, it's not going to be a help to anyone. And in fact, Paul goes on and he makes some comparisons. He, he, he makes some instrumental comparisons. Check it out. Verse 7 he says, If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or a harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. You know, what a disaster this morning if I'd tried to pick up the guitar and uh, play some notes for you and lead you in worship from the guitar this morning. You know, thank God for Brian and Blake and... And Andy and Melanie on the piano there, you know, if, if it was me, you wouldn't know what I was playing. <laughs> I wouldn't know what I was playing. And Paul says it's like that. If we speak in unknown tongues, it's just, what's the value? He makes a comparison to the, the trumpet or the bugle. You know, back in the day, when armies were summoned with a trumpet, with the bugle, you know, there were distinct sounds for an attack. There were distinct sounds for a retreat. There were certain sounds for breakfast, and the call to get out of bed. And if a man on the bugle plays the wrong notes, the army doesn't know what to do. Are are we leading a charge or are we going to bed right now? Is it dinner time? Because I'm kind of hungry. They don't know what they're doing. And so Paul makes this application for the use of tongues in a congregational setting. And he's being very clear. The one that speaks unintelligible words to the listeners is simply like a person who's speaking to the air because no one uh, receives any benefit. No one understands. He says in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. You've probably been in one of those situations if you've ever done any traveling where a local comes up to you and tries to speak to you. Um, I, I've had the blessing of getting to go to Israel three times now and hopefully a fourth here in the new year. And if you'd like to come, I'd love to chat with you. And um, you know, uh, Lisa and I laugh because when, we've, when she's come to Israel, um, Israelis often mistake me for an Israeli. I don't know wh- what that is about me, but they just do. And so they'll come up to me and start speaking to me in Hebrew. And it's all Hebrew to me. I don't know what's being said. And uh, if you've done any traveling, I'm sure things like that have happened to you. And you say no, English. No, speak Espanol, right? For all our Spanish folks here. Y- you can't understand one another and language becomes a barrier to communication. And Paul says that. What's the benefit if language is a barrier And so verse 12, he says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You're eager. You desire spiritual gifts? That's great. That is good. That is healthy. Seek after prophecy so that you can speak to people in a language they understand. Simple words that build up. Simple words that encourage. Simple words that uh, console and give comfort, you know, that build and stir and lift up people's faith. You know, I encourage you, maybe here this morning, God's put someone on your heart. It doesn't have to happen from here. It can happen anywhere in the room, you know. Afterwards, you say, man, I just feel like the Lord's put this on my heart to come over and, and to tell you this word of encouragement. God wants, you know, we can share those words of prophecy with one another, and we should desire that to function in our church and for us to be used in those ways. And so Paul gives us some further instruction. In verse 13, he says this, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So, pretty clear, if you do speak in an unknown tongue in a group setting then pray that you'd be able to give an interpretation. An interpretation of your prayer and your praise that's to God so that others can understand. Paul says in verse 14, For if I pray in a, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so we get more insight into praying in a tongue. If you, if you pray in the spirit, you don't understand what you're praying for. You, you're speaking in another language. It's like... Uh, Someone coming up to you in another country and trying to speak to you. Your, your own spirit is being built up in the core of who you are. The spirit of God is edifying you. But Paul's saying here, now I engage my mind too. I, I have to pray in my mind at the same time. And he says in verse 15, well, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. Let me read that again. Verse 15. It's an important verse. It is worth underlining. And if you've got a pen, you should underline these words that he says four times. I will. I will. I will. I will. Verse 15. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. This is an important verse for understanding uh, the, the gift of tongues. You know, many people that don't have that gift maybe desire to have it. And then what? What do you do? You know, you get prayed for, go to conference, you get somebody to lay hands on you, you, you get laid hands on at, at church one Sunday morning or whatever, and you say, I, I'd like the gift of tongues. And then nothing seems to happen. They want to be, the person wants to be able to pray in the spirit and express their love to the Lord, but nothing happens. And maybe years go by, maybe months go by, and it becomes this source of frustration or maybe a source of disappointment. And I would say this, it's almost like, you know, people expect, like, to go into a trance. Your eyes are going to roll back and your tongue's going to take off and... (laughs) Whatever Your eyes will glaze over and you're going to quake and you're going to shake. And the Holy Spirit's going to take over and you're going to begin to speak. And your tongue is going to move against your will. Against your will. But Paul says, I will. I will. And that is very important in regards to understanding. He says, I will pray in the Spirit. See, it's a choice that we make. We make a decision that we will pray with words that we don't understand trusting that the that the lord that the holy spirit is inspiring them and partnering with us as we pray. See, praying in the spirit it's 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 not feeling, it's not a feeling that I feel, it's a decision that I make. Do you see that? He says, "Oh, I, I felt like it, so I did it." He doesn't say that. He says, "I will." It's a decision I make and once you begin to do it, it it it's simple. You know in our minds, we make it difficult. My uncle, remember Thanksgiving weekend, I was away and we had a family wedding and my uncle was telling me about, we were were just hanging out and saying, oh man, you know, I was at this thing and they lined people up. They said, say this phrase. And it's usually like, you know, something to do with an Asian car. Shoulda bought a Honda, shoulda bought a Hyundai, (laughs) something like that. Say the phrase. You have the Holy Spirit. You've received the Spirit. And, you know, just repeat this phrase and be repetitious and, and God will hear you and, and it's, it's going to happen. And, you know, uh, it, it's, not, it's not like that. You know, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than anyone we're going to see here. And, it, and it's a great gift. And the Spirit gives utterance, it says here. And so it's a decision that we make in our will. Maybe it's a simple word or, or a simple phrase and you think it doesn't make sense, you step out in faith in your will and you say, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to pray through me. And you begin to experience the edifying and the building up of the Holy Spirit. You know, one time, I, I, I speak in tongues. It's, a, it's an important part of my personal quiet time And something that's almost daily a part of my life. And one time I was just seeking the Lord and spending time praying in the Spirit. And I could hear certain repetitiousness of of phrase or certain words that kept coming up. And and the Spirit of God was really blessing me and strengthening me. And I was feeling so encouraged in the Lord. and, And I just thought, wow, Lord, I can hear this What does that mean, God? I actually said, God, what does that mean? Because I can hear there is a theme here in the way the Spirit of God is directing the prayer. And uh, I felt like the Lord just said to me, this is what it means. And it it was the prayer of a child calling on his father, calling on the name of his father, and my father was just strengthening me. And I was worshiping him, and I would say, you know, look, I I don't want to be a charismaniac, but I believe in the charisma of the gifts of the Spirit. And tongues is a beautiful way to be able to express yourself to the Lord beyond the limits of familiar language. Lord, I don't know what to do, you know. Lord, I'm frazzled. Lord, I'm I'm out of words. I will pray in the Spirit. I will pray in the Spirit, and I'm edified and built up. And that kind of prayer language is available to anyone who wants it. Look, if you don't want the gifts of tongue, that's fine. No sweat. Not downplaying those that don't have it, not for a second. But to anyone who wants it, to everyone who simply believes, steps out in faith, it is a gift made available by the Spirit. And so as Paul says, I'll pray with my spirit, I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Can I tell you a funny story? I don't know if I want to tell you this. Okay, I'm going to tell you. One time I, uh, I thought, I'm going to go off and spend some time with the Lord, and so I went away for a few days, and uh, I went camping, and I was all alone. Way in the bush by a lake. And just spending spend time in the word and, and spending time with the Lord. And just had a dynamic time one afternoon of meeting God. And him just praying in the spirit. I was just singing and praying to the Lord. And all alone in the woods. So, you know, I was being kind of loud like a charismaniac. And uh, all of a sudden I look over my shoulder and there's a hiker going by. I said, oh, Hi. And he just put his head down and <laughs> he kept trucking. <laughs> uh, awesome. I will pray with my spirit. I'll also pray with my mind. I'll sing in the spirit, but I will also sing in my mind, Paul says. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? Like the hiker, he couldn't say amen. He didn't know what I was saying. Thought I was nuts. And again, you know, in a public setting, how can anyone say amen if they don't know what's being said? You know, it's biblical to say amen. 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 Thank you. And all God's people said amen. Amen means so be it. It's a term of agreement. Actually, you know, it's like the word amen and the word hallelujah are two words that... um, words slipped my mind they're above all languages they're common to all languages amen and hallelujah it means so be it so be it amen and Jesus taught the the importance of agreeing together in prayer great way to express your agreement in prayer amen yes Lord so be it it's a great way to express your agreement when the preacher says something you like and Brian Peterson's moved away (laughs) And so we need some folks to pick up the slack and give an amen once in a while. All right. Verse 17. You guys are good. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so again, verse 17, Paul is talking about you're speaking in tongues you're in a corporate center you might be giving thanks you might be worshiping God but nobody else is built up because they don't understand what's uh, being said now again you know lest we make the mistake of thinking Paul is down on the gift of tongues make sure you notice verse 18 I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you Paul says And so when Paul, when Paul says he spoke in tongues more than anyone, you you have to think that, that the gift of tongues was a dynamic and important part of his daily walk with the Lord. His quiet time, his personal times of prayer. You know, when he didn't know what to do, when he didn't know how to pray, Paul prayed in the spirit. Tongues were a part of his life. Um. But that said, and he says, I speak more than all of you. He also understood that in the setting of a corporate worship gathering, he preferred to speak in a way that everyone could understand, that everyone could benefit. Interesting, he says, if I speak 10,000 words in a tongue, it's not as good as five words as you can understand. And so he says to the Corinthian church, verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature, mature. See, in their selfish desire to be edified, to be built up themselves, they were willing to do it in the church at the expense of other people. The Corinthians were, were showing themselves to be children. Paul, didn't he call them that earlier? Chapter three, way back when, you're infants. I should be able to call you mature and you're You're infants. And they were showing themselves to be immature in the exercising of the gifts. And so Paul calls them to something higher. Not that they would trample one another, but that they would pursue love. That they would put things in their proper context. That they would be dynamic and use that gift of tongues in their own quiet, personal times. And that in the corporate times together that they would prophesy and if the tongues crossed over into the corporate time that they would pray for interpretation. And so he says in verse 21, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me says the Lord. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 22 though. We'll come back to that in a second thus tongues are assigned not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is not for us uh, while prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers but for believers so paul takes this this quote here from isaiah uh, chapter 28 verse 15 he says by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will i speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me says the lord Um, Back in the days of Isaiah, Paul is referencing something that the Jewish believers understood, that in Isaiah 28, the nation of Israel had reached a point where they in their heart had become indifferent to God, indifferent to the things of God. And so as God had promised in in his law back in Deuteronomy, he said, when when my people reach this place of indifference, then I will send other people into your land and they will occupy your land and I'll use that as a source to try and wake you up. And so in the days of Isaiah, the Assyrians had come and they were occupying the land of Israel. And Paul uses this example, he uses this historical example Reference to teach something here, and I think that it's a wordplay in the Greek. We don't see it in the English. It's actually a wordplay in the Greek. And he uses this example, speaking not to unbelievers, I believe. I, I really think that as I was studying this, that he is not speaking to unbelievers, but he is speaking to believers who have grown indifferent. Believers who are unbelievers in a certain sense. And here's where they're unbelievers in regards to the work of the Holy Spirit. They have faith in Jesus Christ. They believe in the work of the cross, but they've made a decision that they believe the gifts of the Spirit and the things of the Spirit are something that were for another age and not for today. In fact, that word in, in, in verse... Uh, 22 that is translated unbelievers can be translated unfaithful or faithless or unbelieving as it is there or incredulous or people who are without trust in God. And we know that there are many Christians uh, who believe in the work of the cross and believe in all that Jesus Christ did on, on the cross, but they do not believe in the present day work of the Holy Spirit. I said, no, no, no. No. It's like the Acts. We're not sure about that, so we're going to just put it away. We're going to choose indifference. We're going to make a choice in our will not to be open to the things of the Spirit, but to close the door on that and say, no, no, no. That was for the days of the apostles. No, that was only, you know, that was until the perfect came, and we're going to define that as, as the Word of God, as we saw last week. And, and tongues, it's interesting, the tongues always seems to be the issue that divides. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, if you float around church, churches before, that's the issue. That's the issue that's like seemingly the line that's drawn in the sand where, where the people who've grown callous to the things of the Holy Spirit say, no, no, not in our day, not in my life, no, not in our church. And where those who are open say, Yes, we want that gift functioning and operating in our lives and in our church. And there are those who say, You know, he doesn't work that way anymore. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Tongues have ceased. And I was reminded of, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 through 24, where Solomon said this. He said, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away crooked speech and put away devious talk far from you. You know, we talked a lot about this over the last couple weeks, the need for the Spirit of God to transform the heart. Because from the heart flow, the the heart is a spring. And from the heart flows the wellspring of life. We talked about this two weeks ago, that the heart directs my tongue. And so naturally, when I make a decision in my heart, the things of the spirit are not for today. What's the first thing that's affected? My tongue. My openness to that gift of the spirit. My desire. And so, Solomon knowing the, the heart, said this, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard the heart. And, and church, we have to guard our hearts that we're not indifferent to the working of the Holy Spirit, that we're not calloused, that we're not hard, that we're not closed off, that we haven't decided, no, we've put the ax away and we'll never touch it ever again. No, we learn proper use. We learn biblical use. We put things in context. Verse 23, if therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders. See, he uses a different word here. Uh, is, the Greek is actually basically the word idiots. Um, if, idiotes or something like that is how I said. If, there, if therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And so, you know, tongues... Which just makes sense that they would come to that conclusion. You know, tongues aren't a benefit to anyone if they are not properly and biblically expressed. Verse 24, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever and outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Wow, what an awesome picture he paints there. That when God's word is spoken, that when the people of God are walking in faith and stepping out and uh, sharing, sharing uh, words that edify and build up and, and comfort and Console and strengthen and encourage and exhort. You know, many times all it takes is a single message for someone who walks in the doors of a church to respond to the gospel. We've seen that happen here. You know, there's been times when somebody sat here for many months. There's been other times where it was the first Sunday, they responded to the gospel. I think, wow, I've never seen them before. They walked in, they responded to the gospel. Praise the Lord. I want it to happen more. Amen. Thank you, Calvin. <laughs> that was well timed, man. You know, sometimes someone comes to you, you ever come to church and you just think, wow, that was like God tailored that just for me. It's like, he cut that out, man, you couldn't shape that any better. That word was for me. And an individual is, is one to faith in Jesus. And you know, we want to function, we want the gift of prophecy to function in our church. You know, sometimes in a corporate setting like this, it's hard, right? There's, there's a lot of us here. Home group is a great way for that to happen, you know? Home group's a great place to show up and say, you know, hey, this was something to me that just rocked me this week. This came out of my quiet time. I was praying for you guys, and th- I thought this. And the Spirit gave me this, and I want to encourage you. And uh, You know, it's, home group's an awesome spot for that to happen if we don't get the opportunity to do that here. We want to function in that. So verse 26, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There's actually a little bit of an argument with this text about where the question mark is supposed to be. Some say it should be at the end after the word interpretation. uh, Because there's no question marks in Old biblical Greek, right? And, and it's really driving home this sense that in, in, in Corinth, everybody was showing up. Everybody had something to offer. A hymn, you know, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, and what was going on in their church, you know, was just confusion. Over here, you got a word of prophecy over there. You got tongues going on over here at the same time. Somebody's singing back there, and it's just like, what the heck is going on in that place, right? And so Paul gives some instruction for order here. Real simple. Verse 27. Then he speak in a tongue. Let there be two, or at the most three, and each in turn. Let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and speak to God. Doesn't say you can't do it. But he says this it's not, you know, one by one by one by one, all the way down the list. He says we're going to keep it to a certain number. There has to be an interpretation. If there's no one to interpretate, real simple, right? Keep it to yourself. Pray yourself. Not not out loud. Be silent in the church and speak yourself to God. The same is true of prophecy. He says, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first one be silent. For you, you you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And so again, it's not like, wow, we're all going to just, you're doing a prophecy, so I'm going to be louder over top of you. And oh, you're loud, so now I'm going to be louder over top of you. And it just turns into chaos. So no, we're going to do with order, with function, with clarity. One speaks and we make room for each other to speak. And, and those who... Uh, there he tells us elsewhere, it's the elders of the church who weigh what is said. And they can teach accordingly or correct or um, give it the thumbs up. And Paul says this, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Is it, this is important here. You know, some people justify odd behavior and they say, well, I, w- I was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. You know, I just, the Spirit made me do it. Really? Not what Paul says here. Paul tells us here that when a person is ministering in the Spirit, he is never out of control. Never out of control. Perfectly in control as the Spirit leads. Verse 33 For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not the author of confusion. You know, God doesn't interrupt himself. He's giving a teaching and a word, and then just going to talk over. God doesn't interrupt himself. He's a God of peace. Verse 33 continues. He says this. Yeah, It's like Paul loves to do this, okay? So here comes the wrench into the cogs. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. There it is, see? For they are not... Glad you didn't bring it to me. For they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, we have to read here. What we? I see hands going over faces. I see, you know. We have to read here. Um, This section, in light of what Paul has already said, Paul already addressed this in chapter 11. You can go back and listen to that message online. Uh, Spent a lot of time talking about it. I'm going to spend much less this morning just due due to time. Paul addressed the right of women to pray publicly, to prophesy publicly in chapter 11. And here, just in terms of the context, because Paul has been talking about prophecy, prophecy, and tongues, He's probably saying that women do not have the right to judge prophecy. It's something that was restricted to the male leadership in the church. And instead of judging prophecy, he says be submissive to what church leadership decides and judges in regards to the word of prophecy. If you've got a question, ask it at home. Um, if you think about the context of the first century church, it actually followed the model of a synagogue. So it was like this, ladies to the right, men to the left, or how it might have been the other way, whatever it was. But there was a line of divide in the middle. You know, today, uh, even today if you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, uh, the men go to one side and the women go to another side. And there is uh, a setting for that. And, and that was probably the setting of the first century church. And so here the ladies are over here, let's say. The guys are over here. And my wife has a question. She wants to clarify something with me. What, what, did, what was just said? What did you just say? I didn't hear that. You know, spouses. says we do that to each other, right? What did he just say? I didn't hear that. Instead of, you know, being beside each other, they just yell across the room. That's what was happening. I'm telling you, this church was chaotic. I mean, you just think of everything you have in your mind of what charismania is to its extreme. That was the Corinthian church, 100%. It was chaos, And it seems to have been this problem with women just uh, chattering. That's actually the word in the Greek. Chattering and disrupting the service. Disrupting what was going on. And that seems to be the context. Disruptive speaking. Interrupting. Yelling things across. And as you can imagine, if there's tongues going on over here, prophecy going on over there, a song being sung back there, and it's just all chaos, why not shout across the room and ask your husband for clarification? What the heck is going on in here? And so, so Paul says, you know, it's shameful for a woman to speak in church because it's really this. I would say this. It's indicative of a lack of male leadership. Because the men are so carnal, they're, they're so weak, they're so unwilling to lead. Ladies need help. What the heck's going on here? Maybe that's what they're yelling. What the heck is going on here? Why aren't the elders addressing this? And I would say to you ladies, as Paul says, you know, it's really good to go home and ask your husband questions. You know, in a lot of homes, maybe it feels like this in your marriage, sometimes the wives are out front of their husbands, spiritually speaking. And it's like the ladies are setting uh, the pace and I'm thankful for godly ladies. But Paul actually encourages this. Go home and ask your husband. You know, it's good, women, to go home this afternoon and say, hey, what do you think of the message? What do you think about that? Tongues, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, you know, it's, it's you know, you, you can actually come to the, pa- you could come to me, you know, you could come to one of the church leaders and, and, and ask that, and you could leave your husband kind of inadvertently in the background and leave him behind. And Paul says, it's good to go home and to ask your husband, and then maybe you know I think the idea is this maybe he'll be motivated. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to look into that. I'm going to let me let me think on that and I'll get back to you. It's a great way to create a spiritual atmosphere in your home. Ask him, husband. Ask your husband questions. You know I, I was. Uh, you know even if your husband's not a believer. S- several women some in different contexts in our church that that are in those situations. I would say this, you know, do it anyways. Ask the question. Hey, what do you think about this? I was reading my quiet time. Read this in the Bible. What do you think about that? And it sets it, it creates conversation in your home. And so Paul, as he's uh, directing the church here and bringing order, he says, okay, learn to be quiet. We know this from elsewhere. In this very letter, he does not say women can't pray. He gives a right for them to pray publicly and to prophesy. But he is directing in this context of chaos, bringing order. We cool with that? Okay. No amens? All right. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And so, look at this. Paul is just bringing structure and order and decency to the church. He gives direct stuff. He says, what I am giving you is a command from God. This is just like, oh yeah, we'll make it up as we go here and we'll figure it out. He says, no, this is a command from God. And if you can't, if someone won't recognize this, recognize, uh, don't recognize them. And so things are to be done in decency and order, verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All things decently in order. You know, it's awesome the way that God by his spirit is gifted his church and gifted each one of us individually. He's provided gifts for us personally in our times alone with him. He's provided gifts for us corporately when we come together. And sometimes there's a crossover in their, their operation and, and Paul gives us instruction in that. And... Uh, You know, as I I close, I'm just reminded of the very first verse of this thing where he says, pursue love. Put love out front. That's the locomotive. And desire gifts. Desire the gifts of the Spirit. And so this morning, I just want to pray with you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come.